0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is here, and that means it's time for one of our favorite traditions here on the Take It Easy podcast which color of Gatorade is going to dunk the winning head coach. There's a whole lore behind this prop bet. Last year, blue was a huge underdog and it cashed plus 500. Two of the last three years have been blue and blue has only been the color of Gatorade one other year. Orange is the favorite once again at plus 200. Orange has gotten it three of the last nine years. Orange also went back to back with the Saints and the Packers championships between 2010 and 2011, followed by no color, which would be water, Blue at plus 400. Yellow, lime, and green are slight underdogs at plus 600. Red and pink are both plus 750. Red has never been used, probably because red stains your clothes more than the other colors. I think this is red's year. I'm putting in a plus 750 prop on red. This is finally the year. First time ever that red gets the Gatorade bath. Head over to bet online today and use our promo code BLEAV. For a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, everybody. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you. For stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 107 here on the Take It Easy Podcast. 857 episodes strong, and welcome to our third Super Bowl Sunday here on the Take It Easy Podcast. And every Super Bowl Sunday, the kind of ongoing tradition of sorts for myself is doing a Super Bowl Sunday that kind of looks back in time and gains perspective on another year past and football season coming to an end. But this year felt a little different for myself because Blake Jude is the biggest Bengals fan I know. And this is kind of a low bar to hit because I don't know really any other Bengals fans, or at least I don't think I know any avid Cincinnati Bengals fans. But Blake Jude is from Cincinnati. He's a Bengals super fan. And a lot of the rah-rah emotion about sports kind of comes down to this one. Like, when sports bring us... Small joys and large joys and also emotional heartache because sports are an emotional investment. It's an investment of time and energy and emotional stability from a fan standpoint, which is something I mock sometimes. Like As a rational person, it's incredibly stupid that we choose to do all this, but emotions are things that are difficult to explain and irrational. And sometimes irrational thinking mixed with rational thinking creates the most full life. And this is something I'm figuring out right now as well, as we contemplate how we want to turn this into something that makes all of our dreams come true and gives us a happy, fulfilling life. And maybe there are other paths to a happy and fulfilling life, just as I'm learning that maybe there are other things to life besides really emotionally investing in football, like we did in 2000. And 22, uh I'm sorry, 2020 into 2021 during the pandemic, the part of the pandemic where we really threw ourselves into football. And so football season comes to an end and we can do the eulogizing of the season and all of that. But we've done that in the past before. And I don't think we're going to find a more special moment going into Super Bowl Sunday than with someone born and raised in Cincinnati. We talk about civic pride. We talk about you know, love of, love of team and community and the pride you feel and the emotional joy you get that's difficult to explain because brain chemistry says it's hard for us to articulate how we feel exactly because emotions are complex and emotions are something that, We try to be more in tune with, or at least I try to be more in tune with my emotions. And it's really difficult. It's something that we aren't as good with as society, or at least we're better at being in touch with our logical thinking and rational thinking than we are with our emotional thinking. And so going into Super Bowl Sunday, last year we talked to our friend Hoodie Haskins when we did Wired Up. I think this was one of the first Wired Ups we ever did back in 2020. Was when Super Bowl Sunday came up, and I talked about childhood Super Bowl memories for myself. And last year, we talked about Super Bowl memories with our friend Hoodie Haskins, of course. And this year, Blake Jude gets to take the cake for Super Bowl Sunday and Super Bowl memories. And this year, talking about his team being the Super Bowl, because the first interview that we, well, no, the second interview we ever did here on the podcast was with Blake Jude. It was the week after the Super Bowl in 2020 when the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers, and that was when I learned that Blake was a part-time NFL draft scout. And that 2020 draft season when we had the pandemic going on with Blake being a draft expert kind of sprung this whole weekly podcast into existence that we've been doing hundreds of times now, um, developing a real rapport. Uh, I'd like to think that there's some level of chemistry here between myself and Blake and we've gotten better as we've gone along as we talk about today about refining craft and improving skill sets and all of that stuff as he spends you know every day doing draft scouting the same way I spend every day you know recording podcasts and talking into microphones and talking on YouTube videos and talking to people and articulating points with nuance and perspective that I didn't necessarily have two years ago when we were recording podcasts outside in my quote-unquote happy place uh, off of my dorm room and then transitioning when the pandemic began to doing it outside across the street from a burrito restaurant and a, a grocery store to then, you know, improving our production quality, partnering with Bleeve and Building off of that, losing our Instagram page and finding new joy and other pursuits of life and figuring out who we are and what we want in a deep, concrete way that requires introspection, all of that stuff all culminates with a chance to sit here now and say, look at how much we've worked to build whatever this is and refine our skill set. Yeah, it's only so much. Um, it's Again, it's like I talk about all the time. It's helping to fund our dreams and Super Bowl Day is usually the pinnacle of the year. It's kind of the reward for all of the work that we've done throughout the year. I believe that's the way that Walter, uh, not Walter, that Razor Rosenthal described it last week on Wednesday when he talked about how he doesn't bet the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl is your reward for a year's worth of effort in this weird world of gambling and watching football and making content around football. This is kind of your nice reward at the end of the rainbow. So. Every year on Super Bowl Sunday, we do kind of a perspective of what this day means and all of that. And this year's an especially special one because Blake Jude is, he has his team in the Super Bowl. And by the time you're listening to this, it's possible that Blake Jude's team is a Super Bowl champion that he can carry with him for the rest of his life for a team that always feels second class in the Cincinnati Bengals, like they're a second class NFL team of sorts, so... I've done enough rambling here. This was recorded on Thursday, but I wanted to save it especially for Super Bowl Sunday with Blake Jude. It's a fantastic podcast. We do do some football analysis at the end, but I wanted to just do the... what does I just wanted to talk emotionally and not rationally about whether Jamar Chase is going to be covered by Jalen Ramsey going into the Super Bowl. I wanted to just talk about it emotionally and how we all process... Our emotion, our emotional connection to sports more than our rational connection to sports. And I like having this balance because it's a great way to connect with someone who has been doing these podcasts essentially for free for damn near two years for us every single week. Just doing it because of the love of the conversation and the love of the podcast and the love of football and a little bit the love of each other. So with that being said, here is Blake Jude of stripe hype Cincy on the day the Bengals play in the Super Bowl there we go what's
1: what's going on
0: what is going on (laughs) welcome Welcome to Super Bowl Sunday. At least when people are listening to this, it'll be Super Bowl Sunday. But now it's Super Bowl Thursday. But welcome to Super Bowl Sunday, my friend. It's great to be here. I never thought I'd actually
1: be here as like a uh, a fan, more or less, just a guy breaking down two teams I don't care about. But you know what? I'm I'm cool with the uh, cool with being a Bengals fan during. Uh, February as well. That's also really cool.
0: You know what? You know what? We've, we've done all the talking about Cooper cup and Jalen Ramsey. We spent a week trying to talk about it as, as much as we could for a game that's entirely random. Like, it's just going to be like, Oh, look at that. Jalen Ramsey tipped one pass and all of a sudden that changed the entire game. It's like, yeah, this game is going to be random and fun. So I do want to talk to you about this just as a Bengals fan. Cause this is, this is the pinnacle, right? Like you and I both have kind of bonded over the years over just rooting for absolutely horrid franchises for our entire lifetime. And like, this is the pinnacle that we can get to. I know I talk about, I would love to just see one championship in my life for the Padres, which I guess is my one team now that I've still hold. I hold on to because of what it means to be back home from where I came from. And for you, you still are like generally in the Cincinnati area And this is your team. You've gone to a bunch of the games this year. Like this is the pinnacle that I talk about my entire life, having that one moment of fandom that this is, this is it. I mean, maybe you guys get back again sometime, but like this feels like the pinnacle, no matter what, it'll still be the first.
1: Yeah. I mean, as a Bengals fan, I, I don't, I mean, I think we all can agree when I say this, no one really expected us to be here this year. Uh, and it's almost like a little bit different than what I was expecting, like the fact that we just got here so quickly. I guess I didn't have time to process like, oh, my God, we're in the Super Bowl. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> um, so it, it just kind of came out of the blue. You know, you just, you just start winning a couple of games in a row and all of a sudden, here you are in Los Angeles, the biggest game of the year. Um, I always kind of expected it to be, I guess, a little bit different. It, I thought it'd be like a very slow come up. And, and honestly, like the more I think about it now, I'm like, man, if we win, like what we'll have to look forward to now? <laughs> We've done it. Like, we won, you know. And as a Bengals fan, I'm always like, man, that day whenever I'm 50 years old, and we win the Super Bowl. That's gonna be the best day of my life. And here I am at 20 right now, about a, uh, you know, about a freak out over a Super Bowl. It's just crazy that we got here so quickly. Um, and and honestly, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to it big time. But uh, I, I need to have like a season where I expected the Super Bowl and we go out and actually win it. The fact that we came with such low expectations and did it was an amazing surprise. And this will, honestly, I, I think time I'm 80, if, we, if we're still doing this podcast, you let me know and I'll tell you, I think this will be the best season of football I have ever experienced as a fan in my life. Uh, it, it definitely is at least right now. And I think it will be for the for the majority of the future because I just love this team and it's so much fun to watch them and, and see them outperform the way I expected them to be.
0: Do you think that feeling of like naive, like we just don't, we just, none of this was even conceivably possible and it's all happened so fast. Do you think that makes it like more of an adrenaline rush or kind of like the we don't have to be scared about this because we're we don't know what we're in for at this point like how does it feel like again Jim Nance called it the last call of the game he's just like a month ago it would have been unconceivable that this would be happening does that change the way you've thought about this
1: um I mean, it would be heartbreaking to turn around and end up losing this game, and after what the season, after the season that we had to see, like it all end up going that way. It would suck for sure. Like I'm not, I'm not really hoping that doesn't happen. But at, at the same time, it, I mean, I, I've said this multiple times, and I feel like a lot of play, other people will agree. Bengals are playing with house money right now. Like no one expected this to be here. This is not the best Bengals team we'll have the next five years. At least I hope not. It shouldn't be. With the amount of cast space we have, with the amount of uh, draft picks uh, the Bengals have. Uh, there should be better days ahead of Cincinnati. I think Joe Burrow is not in his prime yet. He's still a younger quarterback, even though he's a little bit older than the average rookie. Uh, He's still a pretty young quarterback. Jamar Chase is a very young wide receiver. T. Higgins is another very young wide receiver. This is a very, very young football team. One of the youngest football teams in the NFL. I believe fifth youngest right now in the NFL. So this is still a team that has a lot of better days ahead of them. They're still going to be a lot better uh, in the future. So yeah, it'll hurt if we lose, but I do think there are, you know, I'm not giving up hope, right? Like, this isn't this isn't the only Super Bowl I think will be in in the next 50 years. I think there will be more days ahead where we get to see a, another fun, hopefully, Super Bowl appearance with Cincinnati Bengals. But um, at the same time, you know, this is this is your chance because not not all the time you get to beat the Chiefs twice in one season. That's just not going to happen regularly with Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback. So you got to take advantage of it when you have it because you don't know if it's it's not a guarantee that they even go back to the Super Bowl. It's possible, but it's not a guarantee. Anything can happen. You can have injuries, whatever. Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, right now they need to win and prove that they can they can be a Super Bowl contender and a super bowl winner for years to come.
0: Yeah, that was an important distinction I felt like you made partway through, which is like there will be better Bengals teams than these. They have like the most cap space in the NFL available and very few free agents this offseason. So presumably next year's Bengal team should be better than this year's team. Now, some people might regress and things like that. I know. I think it was um, football outsiders graded Jamar Chase, like projected receiving yards. He was like 260 over his projection. So that would like be something prone to a regression next year. And, you know, all of that be damned at this point, like this Bengals team wasn't the best team in the NFL this year. So there is room to get better. It's just I think the point you're talking about is. In the back of your mind, you think we can, we may never get back here because a lot of teams make the Super Bowl and never get back. Like that happens all the time in the NFL. And I think even the best of best situation, you're like, if you give me 10, 20, 30 years, eventually we'll get back. But in the short term, this isn't the best team we're hopeful to have, but it's also the one that's going to make it the furthest possibly.
1: Yeah, it's certainly possible that's the case. Yeah, I mean, it's not every day. I mean, there are super teams right now in the NFL. Like, you know, every day you get to see Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, three guys that are that good together, miss a Super Bowl, right? Like, that's just really rare. Um, Cincinnati does not have that right now. I mean, they have a very, very good roster, very high-powered offense, but they do not have a Mahomes, a Kelsey, even a Tyreek Hill. They don't have those guys of that kind of stature. I mean, Jamar Chase is getting up there. I think he will be up there at one point, but I, I think, you know, you don't have to how kills speed you don't have Travis Kelsey's insane ability to catch run routes do basically everything on the field is tied in you don't have Mahomes insanely strong or arm. or also I'll throw in the place. greatest
0: I'll throw in the greatest offensive mind in the history of the NFL as your head coach Andy Reid.
1: right you, you, you just don't have that so if, if those guys are together it's not a guarantee you're ever making another Super Bowl again because those guys are going to be making it back and forth all the time and you don't have that right now but you have chances to beat them. And honestly, I think the Cincinnati football team is kind of built to beat the Chiefs in a way, and they've done it twice already. They get just enough stops, just enough plays to be able to beat them. They're able to slow down the offense. They're able to make it so the defense has to stay on the field for a long periods of time and slows them down, makes the offense go out of the sync. They have a recipe to beat the Chiefs, but it is never a guarantee to beat a, those a, a team that good consistently each season. So the fact that we are here, any time, any time in the super bowl, you don't you're not thinking like, Oh, hey, this is cool, you know, we can just go out here and lose, you know, right? No one no one's saying that. Like you go out <laughs> here to win the Super Bowl you want to win a super bowl and this is a big super bowl for this team because you know, they've, they've lost two in the past and back in the eighties, they lost two of them. Uh, this is a team that needs to prove themselves that this is a franchise that is capable of winning a super bowl. We mentioned it several, several months back that you think this is possibly a team that can look into relocating. This is not even the super bowl this year. This team is never going to relocate. It's never going to happen. And that's, that's going to be huge for this, for this, I think franchise uh, to be able to prove themselves that Hey, we have the fans, we have the, we have the team, we have the, the facilities, we have everything necessary to win a super bowl. Just proved it this year.
0: Yeah, except for an indoor practice facility, which the Bengals still do not have an indoor practice facility, which is kind of insane uh, when you consider how far north they are. It gets cold where you are sometimes. Um, the, the The part about relocation that's fascinating is that was one of the episodes we did during the like early, early days of the pandemic, like when we were all still do on lockdown. Um, we did a podcast where we like, what are the places that are going to relocate the fastest? And it's like. I, we said in the episode, and I still, feel, I still feel this way even today, that Joe Burrow and Zion Williamson, because Zion had just been drafted by the Pelicans a year earlier and Burrow was the first overall pick that like a month earlier when we did the podcast. Um, I, I said those two are, are the last hopes for their teams remaining in the cities that they are. And Buffalo's going through some of the similar stuff right now with the stadium that Goodell said, like, guarantee we're going to have a new stadium in Buffalo, but they want to do it with taxpayer money in the state of New York. And I I said, like, those two have to be the guy. And you're seeing the difference here between Joe Burrow, who is the guy who is going to carry the Bengals for a decade. Like you said, you said he was the highest rated prospect you'd ever graded and Zion Williamson. Who hasn't been anything yet? The Pelicans haven't made the playoffs with him. And there's relocation talks in the NBA between them and the Portland Trailblazers and the Minnesota Timberwolves to a certain extent. And so I think that that's even truer to this day. And Joe Burrow gets to like build a stadium in Cincinnati on the backs of, you know, a fluky run of some sorts, but still a championship run that makes Cincinnati nationally relevant as one of the smallest NFL cities in America.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it it really is. I mean, it's just the the fact that this one player is able to attract so much to him. I mean, a lot of players, a lot of free agents, whenever they came to Cincinnati, they're like, man, Joe Burrow, like this is the guy that we want to play with. Right. Like He he is single handedly becoming a magnet for free agents, for draft picks to want to be a Bengal. Uh, you know, he's the, he's the biggest reason why. If big, the Bengals don't have uh, Joe Burrow this year, they don't have Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is not going to be a Bengal. Uh, that connection is the reason why he was ultimately drafted. They would have went to Panay Sewell, had they not had the connection already with Joe Burrow. So we wouldn't have a Jamar Chase. Trey Hendrickson said he loved Joe Burrow. He wanted to be with Joe Burrow. He thinks he's a really, really good player. Should have a Wougier was on film saying that. Mike Hilton said it. DJ Reader quite literally chose the Bengals over the Broncos, because the, the agent asked him, who would you rather play with, Drew Locke or Joe Burrow? And he chose the right decision, obviously. So, I mean, they literally have – the agents literally talks to their players about those guys, and players are ultimately attracted to Joe Burrow because of his pedigree and what he's done. So quite literally, he is the reason why the Bengals are where they're at right now uh, entirely, the reason why we have all these players in our roster right now. He, he he really is one of the biggest – I mean, he is the biggest person to credit in, in terms of all his success since tonight.
0: Yeah, that's why I point to the Kyler Murray situation in Arizona. I'm like, Joe Burrow is single handedly carrying a billion dollar corporation, like, overnight changes the fortunes of billions of dollars moving around for the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Cardinals are like being notoriously stingy about extending Kyler Murray. I'm like, if he's that dude, which I think he is, that changes the like billions of dollars of money within your organization. And it's incredible that Joe Burrow has that much leverage and also is only making like $7 million a year when he's literally responsible for building an entire new economy for an entire new billion dollar NFL team. It's incredible that it actually worked out. And, you know, more incredibly for nostalgia's sake, that we've been doing this podcast long enough that we can go from having the conversation about the Bengals you know doing a podcast of you ranking the five most heartbreaking Cincinnati Bengals losses i believe that was one of the first podcasts we ever did was what are ranking the five wild card losses between 2010 and 2019 2015 in terms of heartbreak to oh this is the this is the team that like in two years they are the team at the end with all of the glitz and glamour and you know media propping up of your hometown, which I think is the coolest part of this, it's your city, and you get to have it all happen within like two years of us knowing each other and us doing this podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, the turnaround's just been surreal, and it really is like I think the coolest part is like people like my family around me everyone around me like they, they see the Bengals win and they they think of me first like I'm like the first person they think of whenever the Bengals win a football game or things like that and I mean obviously I'm not the biggest fan in the world I mean I'm a huge fan but there's definitely people out there who are much more passionate go to every single game uh you know I, I just can't afford that I can't do that but I mean I'm a huge Bengals fan I do everything I can I write for them you know, I write about the Bengals anything like that I mean the, the Bengals are quite literally like running my life, my, my blood, like my oxygen, honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I talk about them all the time. That's what I do for like my hobbies, everything like that. So to me at this point now, where you get to look back and just think, like, man, all this work I've done is like insane just to see where we came from being one of the bottom teams in the league and something that no one really ever cared about to not be at the top. And to think like everyone's starting because all Bengals seem to notice, all Bengals pages at least have noticed that there's a lot of bandwagon joining now after we've hit the Super Bowl, of course. Everyone loves Yeah, the, all the, the Saints jokes.
0: fans are sliding on over as they should. The Saints fans are realizing we're headed towards a decade of mediocrity and we want to jump on that Joe Burrow hype train.
1: Yeah, and a lot of Tom Brady fans as well. A lot of Tom Brady fans have gone over to Joe Burrow because, uh, you know, of course Gronk now speaking high of Joe Burrow. uh, There's been a lot of talks between Joe Burrow being like the next Tom Brady, like that. There have been. I had a couple people comment on my page like, "Look at all these Tom Brady bandwagons over here to the Bengals." You know, like there's been a lot of people who just flip over to the Bengals now, and we've noticed it. But the fact that you know I get to sit down and appreciate that I have been there at their lowest, and now I get to see them at their highest is so relieving, and so it's really, really cool to to sit down and just think about
0: cuz it makes you a true fan. It makes you more of a fan than those fake fans that are coming over and joining the Cincinnati Bengals because the Bengals for the next decade are going to be pretty good. I'm not going to say great every year, but pretty good cuz they still play in the same division as Lamar Jackson. Um Cincinnati is I mean you talk about like what I think of it as is like investing a large amount of your emotional you know energy into this football team. and I know a lot of people do it, but I don't think people do it like the crazy ways that we do it where you write for the team, you run an Instagram page for the team you break news about the team every now and then you do live streams of the draft and also scout all these players because you love football as much as that like it's it's fascinating to think of that. And then to kind of be rewarded for that, like rewarded for your fandom with that win. And my way of coping with that is like, yeah, I don't really give a shit in the grand scheme of things if my team is good or bad. I like the fact that I root for a bunch of losers and I'm attracted to the Sacramento Kings being losers more than the Los Angeles Lakers as like a tormented (laughs) fandom that we can laugh at. But it's kind of cool that you got rewarded for all of the fandom and all of the emotional stability with the highs of making the deepest possible runs. Not that like it wasn't fun even when they were losing, but you just got the high of wait, is this actually possible? This is the emotional peak of making a Super Bowl run that there are people in your family that have never seen in their lifetime. Each each
1: win the Bengals have had feels like if you can imagine this in college football, beating the number one overall team in America, right? I, like, you, you, know, you just beat Alabama head to head three times in a row in the playoffs. Is what it feels like right now, being a Bengals fan. You know, I I'm, I haven't really had that experience that much. I know I witnessed the Bengals beat yeah, number one LSU several years back, when I was like a kid. All right, I, I don't remember that very well. Uh, and then I remember, um, and then I remember, you know, beating a couple number one, maybe number one overall teams in basketball as well, but. But that that's the closest thing I can rep like I can think of to like what I'm experiencing, like being able to just go out there and basically get a huge major upset, even though it's not really an upset every week. You know? Like, I mean it's just it's just the fact that we're like Thinking of this team right now, like I mean, I had this team going seven and ten in the, in the off season, right? That's just that's just how I predicted it. That's why I thought eight I think it was eight and nine, actually. Eight, and nine is what I had predicted. Seven and ten, eight and nine is what I really kind of thought of as a Cincinnati Bengals next year. And honestly, I was like, hey, three or four extra wins for Zach Taylor, He's not going able to keep his job, but you have to make it playoffs next year. <clears throat> and the fact that now we're like saying that Zach Taylor's coach of the year potentially him or Mike Frable, and he's now in the, no. in the Super Bowl coach. No,
0: I refuse. No, no, we're not giving Zach Taylor coach of the year. No. We're not doing that. We're not pretending Zach Taylor's a good coach who didn't call timeout on the last game winning interception against the Titans.
1: Uh, He's going to be one of the finalists for sure. I know everyone's not predicting him or Vrabel. I think Vrabel probably wins it, but, uh, you know, (laughs) nothing's for sure yet. We'll, (laughs) we'll see. But, uh, I, I really do think that uh, it is. I mean, just insane to see how how far this team has gotten from what I expect them to be this year. I mean, they've they've outperformed every single time I've I've gave like they've they've had a chance, right? Uh, and it's it's really really cool to just see how that's turned out.
0: What do you think about this? From, I guess the best way to think about it is from a fan of a team and like civic pride type of thing. Cause I know like everyone talks about civic pride and this especially happens in college football where, you know, everyone gets up for Arkansas football going four and eight every year. And it is a beacon of civic pride. But what does that mean for like a Cincinnati point? Cause you've lived there pretty much your entire life, except for like departing for college for a short period of time. Like that is your team. That is your city. And you get to have that kind of, feeling of pride for your hometown. I know I left my hometown originally and I've kind of adopted Sacramento and their shitty basketball team as a temporary home, but you know, there's a saying of loving the place that you come from, or you're going to end up being miserable. And so I still feel good in that way. I don't know how you feel about that from a Cincinnati hometown standpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was raised throughout my, almost my entire life in Kentucky. And and everyone, you know, Cincinnati's in Ohio, but Cincinnati really considered Kentucky. Like, you know, like, Kentucky's right next to Cincinnati. It's like literally borders each other. Uh, and, and like you can literally see the stadium from Kentucky as well. They always joke around about it. They say basically Cincinnati is just Kentucky. Uh, and, and honestly, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, like, I can just, you know, if I'm in Kentucky, I can just drive to Cincinnati within an hour or two and be there. Uh, and it's really, really cool because, you know, just to be able to experience firsthand just the joy around different teams, like, you, you'll have people like you know so, around kentucky is a very friendly state Like you know you can go to random strangers and, and, and you know when in the restaurants and they'll talk to you about the bengals in the 1980s and everything like that like all the great teams with with uh you know with anthony muñoz and all those guys in icky, icky woods um or, it, all the you know they, they always have those big time uh those big old stores that you always hear about thinking like wow the bengals were good back then you know like what no way like it's crazy. And then you got to think like, man, when, when are they ever going to be good again? When are we going to have these moments where we're going to go back in time and, and talk to these other young kids about, Hey, 2021, Joe Burrow, you know, like remember, you know, don't forget about that. Like I, I want, I wanted to have those moments and to be able to, to look back on it now and think like, Hey, I want to tell my grandkids this in, in 50 years, like, Hey, This this is the best year of my life. (laughs) It is really cool. I
0: sure Uh, hope not. I hope this isn't the best year of your life. I hope this isn't the (laughs) peak of human existence. I hope the Bengals making the Super Bowl isn't the peak of your human existence.
1: Best best sports year of my life, let's say that.
0: <laughs> so uh, I love that sports fans can be like this sometimes because, I mean, I do the same thing. I invest way too much time into this weird little thing that exists, whether it's football or talking litigiously about Demotis Sabonis and the the idea of maximizing your window of opportunity while I myself am recording this dumb little podcast here and maximizing every bit of potential that I have in my life. I I get the idea that when we invest huge amounts of emotional energy in this, we get rewarded, sometimes not as often as normal, but you know, sports fandoms are weird like this. It's a form of entertainment and kinship for fans as dumb as it is it is emotions and emotions can be dumb sometimes and that's kind of the cool part of this
1: yeah no it is really cool um and and, you know it's almost i don't, I don't know how to explain it but the impact it's had on the city as well uh you can just you can just tell like how much it's impacted the city like everyone's just so much more giddy excited uh it really is it I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but I genuinely think the success of a football team around it, a, a, a city's area, at least Cincinnati, um, is directly impactful on how like, the average person greets you, right? <laughs> like, you know, if, if they're miserable, they'll, they'll let you know that they're miserable. The Bengals. They don't even want to talk about it. They want to avoid you. They don't want to discuss anything. But you'll walk up to someone on the side of the street and they'll be like, go Bengals or something like that. You scoot back at them and greet them and everything like that. Like, in general, the entire city is just excited. And I don't know if it's like a vibe or if it's bouncing off one another, but you can just tell that the entire city as a whole is so much more alive, happy. It really is cool to kind of experience it, honestly. Like, you know, being, going to Cincinnati in the past, you know, it just kind of felt like, yeah, we're going to go watch a football game. It's going to be fun, right? Like no one really took it seriously because no one really cared, right? Everyone cares now. Everyone's such a huge Bengals fan and everyone's cheering. I mean, they have parties in the, you know and, and the bars and everything like that they have parties in, inside the stadium outside the stadium wherever you're at i mean it is it is really really cool and infectious i think around uh, just to be able to go out there and experience other fans having fun like i mean leaving the chiefs game like a recording of like literally me and these drunk bangles fans just sitting there like dancing and partying like having a blast afterwards and just to be able to be like a first be able to like, go out there and experience that and be able to have like fun. I think like, yo, this is like my team being where we're at now. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. And I think of it with San Diego, because everyone got very excited about the Padres coming out of the pandemic this last year. I think of it kind of as a, we are proud to be from this place. And when everyone's feeling that little sense of pride, everyone just gets to be a better version of themselves because they're proud of the place that they come from. And you know whether You know, rational or not, people kind of like that feeling of being proud of the place that they play in because pride's a natural human emotion. It's a lot of chemicals mixed up in your body that are weird and fun, but I think that that's kind of the feeling there is like, it's awesome to be from this place the same way, you know, you can embrace being shitty sometimes like Cleveland always embraced. Yeah, we suck, but we all suck together and we're proud of sucking as a city. And San Diego does some of that too, internalizing. But, um, I imagine that there's a lot of pride built in around that and it builds, uh, Builds weird emotional chemical reactions in our body that ultimately lead us to invest large amounts of our emotional stability in dumb sports teams and sports yeah. as a whole, as we do yeah. crazy people shit with sports.
1: You, you sit back and think about it, and you're like, "Wow, why is this like single handedly making or ruining my life?" <laughs> you know, like it, it's it's <laughs> kind of goofy when you. you sit back and just think about it. Oh yeah. That's why I
0: stopped. That's why I mock people for it sometimes, but every now and then I found myself crying a little bit because Patrick Mahomes got that win against Josh Allen. I'm like, I'm susceptible to the same emotions as every other human, even as I, you know, the chargers broke my heart five years ago. And because of that, I've never loved the same way again in sports, but I've also realized all of this is emotions. And sometimes I can be too staunchy and, uh, Judge people a little too harshly for investing large amounts of their emotional stability in three and nine Nebraska football. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, yeah, it, it really is cool. I, I think the part, the, the fact that Cincinnati football has dedicated Cincinnati like football, Cincinnati Bengals in general, as you can call it
0: Cincinnati football. The Bearcats were yeah. also somehow in the college football playoff.
1: <laughs> Very true. Yeah, like the fact that the, the entire—I mean, just Cincinnati football in general—has just dedicated all of their wins, all of their credit to the the, the state, of, the city of Ohio, the, the city of Cincinnati, the state of Ohio and everything like that is it, just so cool. It's just so cool to think like, hey, they're talking about like, you know, they talking about us, like uh, us fans are such a huge reason why they're here right now. It makes you feel like they're, you're actually a part of it. You're actually the reason why they're there. Even though the individual player, individual fan is not the reason why they're obviously there. You know, the, the fans p- go to the home games for a huge part, in some of their victories. They they, ha- they travel really well to away games as well. it to where they don't have as many problems in away games. You know, you, you got to think like, this is actually like, even if we didn't impact it big, We did impact the game in a way. It almost kind of feels like, you know, we're not playing. It's not a we, it's they, right? But it does feel like you are a reason why they are there in a way as well. And it's just so cool to kind of think of that in that way and think like they're playing for us. Like, you know what I mean?
0: If the fans didn't give them hundreds of, if not thousands of dollars of their time and their time and their time, if people didn't give that kind of money, then none of this would be possible, wouldn't it? This would all be just a small little thing that sometimes generates civic pride, but also San Diego has a really good indoor soccer team. And that doesn't necessarily generate civic pride the same way doing it in front of 80 million people and hundreds of millions around the world ends up giving you the same good vibes as a uh, as a Super Bowl caliber football team worth two point eight billion dollars. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah and i think another part like it's really cool is just thinking like hey we're finally getting national media like conversations like i don't think you understand like i mean obviously we, we even i joke about it sometimes everyone laughs about how bad the Bengals are they were a big time joke for the majority of their uh you know of their franchise uh in their lifetime i mean they had a couple of years there in 2015 where everyone was like okay they're not bad but they still couldn't win a playoff game right uh, that was always the thing. They were always like, you know, you're poverty, you're a bad franchise, you better just leave, you know, everything like that. We, we take all those hits and we take them up. We take them straight to the chin because we don't have an answer. We can't make fun of their team because we're not good either. Right. But to finally have a chance to be able to be meet national media, uh, recognize the national media and be able to everyone, let everyone say like, hey, this is actually a really good legit team it's really satisfying because you just sit back and think like man i took all these punches and now i'm finally getting rewarded for it you know it's really cool
0: i mean you're probably doing this also with the scouting game is like oh look at all these people who criticize scouting and then all of a sudden i get to be right sometimes and it's like ah i actually know what i'm doing here i i get that (laughs) little confidence boost of successes like trevor lawrence said all the time is that confidence comes from having success over and over and over again You probably get some of that too, I imagine, just as I get some of it from this rinky-dinky little podcast that we do.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you have moments where being right about something that's not too serious is a very a very good feeling because you don't got to feel bad about the person that was wrong. You just get to laugh at their faces and be like, yo, I'm, I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> yes. Sarah,
0: all- I, trust me. As someone who does this for a living, there is nothing better than being right. Me being right is the only thing that matters in this game. I don't care about love or emotions or civic pride. It's all about being right. Even though I said the Bengals would not make the playoffs as early as December
1: sometimes being wrong a lot makes it better whenever you're finally right you know so i i just think it's really cool that uh that i i get to uh I, you know I get, I get to say like hey you know i i i saw the potential in this team whenever no one else did and look at look at what, what's happening now you know
0: yeah i i find it really really incredible as someone who said for years like i wanted the padres to have that and that's the one thing i hold on to right like I guess Mahomes, some of it, but it's not the same way. It's because I'm like more of an analysty type person now. And I recognize I'm not naive anymore. I'm, I'm sure you aren't as naive as you were as a kid, but you know I'm not naive to the fact that all of this is very, very dumb. I've been doing so much analysis on this over the last three years and getting good at crafting takes and doing this podcast thing that I feel like I, I recognize all of this is incredibly dumb and I'm not going to invest gigantic amounts of my emotional stability like I did as a child. But I still do it with the Padres. And I think part of that is connecting to home and having that place that I can, the place I can still feel proud of where I came from as I you know, never planned to really go back to San Diego and live there full time. I look up and I'm like, that's my connection. That's my connection to my hometown in that way. And uh, this is kind of a weird beacon of energy for myself is like, This is the thing I've been waiting for all my life and to see it happen to you just makes me feel incredibly excited and happy for you that we get to preview Super Bowl Sunday by just talking about all of the ways that this matters from like just a cool human standpoint and not whether Jamar Chase will have 63 or 64 receiving yards in the game.
1: It's really cool just to break down and look at like the statistical, the non-biased perspective of, of games. I, I love to do that as well. You know, if, if this was not the Bengals, if this was the Chiefs and Rams, I would have just such much fun just breaking down X's and O's between the two teams, right? I love that, but there's just something different about bringing it up the more personal side of things and just being able to say like how you, like your experience of how this, this season went, how much fun you had. It is, it is really, really cool just to be able to talk about it and and, and make it and put it to light. Like I had people, I literally had people congratulating me, right? Like like saying like, congratulations. I'm like, I mean, I didn't do anything, right? Like this is, you know, this is a great moment in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm happy, but I didn't do anything. I don't need to be congratulated by anything. It's just really cool to, to uh, I guess to, to, be there and, and experience all this in, in general. I'm I'm kind of running over. I'm kind of saying the same thing over and over. I guess, but it's yeah. just it's just so different and so cool to finally be in this position now where you get to you get to enjoy the Super Bowl as a fan and as an analyst in a way because it makes it so much more. I think this. I mean, obviously for me, this is the most anticipated Super Bowl I've ever been a part of. Right, so I am. St- so excited. It's so marked my calendar. I'm thinking like three nights till Super Bowl, two nights till Super Bowl. You know, it's 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 something that I'm just so excited just to witness and and finally get to see.
0: And hopefully get a parade for across downtown Cincinnati. Hopefully. Yes. You know, f- and you better believe
1: crossed. I will be there. I will I'm, be there. Come on. No You'll doubt. be
0: in the front row. You'll be there eight yeah. hours early just to get in the very front.
1: I'll be, I'll be on, the, I'll be in the bus. I'll be in the bus.
0: You, you'll be, uh, you'll be like that Atlanta Braves pitcher that got arrested because they thought they were someone in the crowd running on the bus, but no, you'll, you'll be that guy. Who's just running alongside the bus for the entire parade.
1: Yes. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> That's what I hope yeah. to do at least. Yeah. I mean, again, fingers crossed. You don't seem like someone that cares too much about jinxes, but you know, finger fingers crossed on uh, that one for your part.
1: I, I kind of do, you know, I mean, you picking the Bengals, that make me very excited because I know you've been wrong a lot lately. <laughs> so I do yeah, worry.
0: yeah, this is, not a, this is not a great year for me. As someone who spent three years crafting the argument and refining the take, my greatest take, that the Kansas City Chiefs are the greatest four-year run of any team in any of our lifetimes, uh, to have it all unravel in two hours was pretty disappointing that, you know, I can be so wrong after being so right for so long, so difficult um, to have that happen. But yes, I've been one in five and I would have been Oh, and six if the Rams hadn't come back in the NFC championship game over the past few weeks. Wow. Yeah,
1: I, I actually, I mean, I, like I said, I predicted Rams bills in the super bowl. Uh, I, I think I had an all my predictions actually, uh, and I had the Rams winning. So, you know, I, I have, I have the Rams, uh, in the preseason winning it all. But now of course, you know, at the Bengals fan, I can't pick the Rams. That's just, that's Harris. I can't do that. So I yeah, But none of it matters.
0: No, one's actually paying attention. The only reason people know I'm right or wrong is because I bring up the fact that I'm right or wrong. I don't have to bring up the fact that I said before the 2020 season that Josh Allen would go six and 10 and be replaced by Dak Prescott. I don't have to bring that up, but I still <laughs> do. Cause it's kind of funny. It could also bring yeah. up the fact that I said it in 2019, it would be the dumbest move ever if the Rams extended Jared Goff and I was right. So, you know, I like to keep a mental note myself of trying to remember it. But it, again, you can say whatever and be right, be wrong. It, we, we try our best to be accountable, but it's difficult when we're throwing 10 hours of content at you every single week.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's gonna be a lot of times whenever you're right and wrong. And that, that that's just how it goes nowadays, right? I mean, there's so many takes so many opinions, uh, you're gonna be wrong a lot, you're gonna be right a lot. And it really, I think the only thing that really gets clicks anymore is how bold of the opinion it is, right? Like, how, how insanely unpopular or popular is your opinion? Uh, I, I think it's really just the... Uh, just what what's most important to pe- people now, at least, and that's why we have guys like Skip Bayless of the world who just go out there and just say the most outlandish things ever, and everyone <laughs> talks about it.
0: You know, yes, I mean, but he I plays guess. it well. He plays it. He yeah. plays his cards oh, yeah. well on that.
1: Oh yeah, easily for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he's great at that. And then you have guys out there like you know like Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith, and you know you have like those very bold and maybe uh, unpopular or popular takes at times, and everyone wants to talk about that. that. That's that's fun to watch, and you love to hear those takes because when you're right, you're like, man, they're smart. But then they're they're wrong a lot. And you kind of just <laughs> choose to forget that, you know? You just forget, oh, yeah. they're
0: wrong. <laughs> See, I used to like that, but I don't watch any of that anymore because I can. Um, One of the things that happened to me when I came to college and I started doing this podcast thing, like, and I was really bad at the beginning, even when we were first doing podcasts, I was really bad at doing this. Um, But one of the things I figured out is that it's important to formulate my own opinions on things. And that's just a skill that's useful in life. But I stopped watching a lot of opinion shows. I still like litigiously listen to the Levitard show. But even that, I can formulate my own opinions before listening to the, it on topics. So, like, I kind of like the idea that I can formulate my own thoughts on it because it allows me to do this job better. If I'm like, here's exactly why I think Kyler Murray should be extended and why the Arizona Cardinals are idiotic to try and, you know, lowball him, or here's exactly why I think every single head coaching hire in the NFL this year this cycle will not have a job within three years. It's like I can formulate that because I guess I'm just connecting the dots on what I think and what I'm deciphering outside of, you know, some people influence my opinions, but I try the best I can to formulate my own. I guess that's kind of where I fell off the Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman entertainer types is that I would rather be the entertainer than be entertained by people doing the outlandish fun game of all of this take and uh whatever else we call it analysis sort of entertainment sports entertainment
1: yeah and, and honestly I, I feel like nowadays the average nfl fan or average sports fan in general doesn't have their own takes well it's all just the, the, the popular it takes like everyone says everyone widely agrees that this player is underrated or everyone agrees this player is overrated but then you start to think like hey if this player is consistently called underrated are they really underrated you know you kind of have those those points. So being able to, to formulate and have your own opinions about different things where we you know might not be popular to some people, but you think it's right, and then you just turn around and write about it, that's a very satisfying thing to do, and it's really cool. I mean, I, I love to listen to other people's opinions to hear. I, I, I don't always agree, obviously. There's a lot of things I disagree about with, with different people when it comes to sports, things like that. But just to be able to hear what they say and, and think – think what I, what I believe and things like that. It's really cool just to kind of compare and to see like the different opinions around the different, different topics in sports. I think it's really cool.
0: Yeah. And this is something that's been interesting that I've kind of learned over the years, sort of is uh, people end up microwaving the takes of popular, you know, famous people with lots of followings and things like that, because they don't love sports the same way we do. Like They don't invest large amounts of time. There's so many other forms of entertainment and you know, just doing things like building relationships with people or their own careers or whatever work they really enjoy, um, whatever makes them passionate. We just are crazy sports people. And so it's easy for us to understand this language where we say Brian Dayball and the casual person has no idea who Brian Dayball is, but we know it like the back of our mind in this way. And you know, there's a niche of people who, like, we call it like the sports community, but there's a lot of people that they just get their sports information by little things like that and little bits of information that they can microwave and reheat. I know I do this with movies a lot. I'll hear someone else talk about a movie, and that's the one thing I know about that movie. So I'll reheat it to someone else. I think that's what people like Stephen A. Smith and uh, Max Kellerman and Skip Bayless. And Shannon Sharp and other people of those sorts, even Pat McAfee, to a certain extent, are really good for is that it can it it gives people a, a taste if they are not the crazy sports people that we are. If we're the crazy sports people, we'll go deeper into the archives of people who are you know doing real scouting of prospects or know the language of sports deeper than someone on the casual level, I guess.
1: Yeah, and, and honestly, I think it creates another whole side of appreciation for football. Whenever you're actually able to 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 look and formulate your own opinions about the game, and honestly, I mean, it it took me a long time to know what I'm looking at whenever I see a play. I mean, you have to learn a lot of different things. I mean, football is such an intricate and and uh, just a very unique game when it comes to the schemes and things like that. Cover two, cover four, cover three. You have man to man. You have, I mean, you have a lot of different. Uh, a lot of different schemes and types of coverage, types of pass rushes, types of blitzes, types of offenses, routes, everything. It's so unique. Uh, and you just have to really get used to just watching film over and over and over and over. And like You, you spend probably
0: thousands of hours watching film, right? Like combined watching football games on TV plus watching, you know, you have actual like game pass and like watch college tape. Like you've probably watched thousands right. of hours of football at this point.
1: Yeah. So I don't know the exact amount. I really couldn't tell you, but I mean, I, I, I've made a very big habit now that before I go to sleep, I cannot go to sleep until I watch a couple of, of games or something like that. You know, I just go through and normally the condensed and you don't have to worry about the the announcing or the commercials or anything like that. It just skips each play and it's pretty quick, right. If you're able to find the right games, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of like uh, uniqueness and, and, and like different games, like, uh, I have watched a lot, a lot. And, and I always I mean, there, there's still times now where I'm like, what, what just happened? Look back and see what happened. You know, might have to research what kind of play they just ran or things like that. Cause there's still some things in football I don't know about. I and mean, I'm not, I'm not by any means a pro. There's still a lot of things that I have to get used to. I'm just able to be at this point now to be able to format my own opinions and have my own opinion, opinions to be able to go out and say, like, hey, this is a good player or this is a bad player. I have those, I'm i able to create those opinions myself and be able to back it up, right? Um, but th- there's still times now, like even, where I have to go and look up, like, what, the, what route did he just run that's an option or something different like that? You know, it, it's just it, – it's really cool and unique how the game is always so different each game. There's not, there's not one game that's like the other, the other, right? It's always so different and I think it's something that really makes it so um, so interesting in a way. you, you know you're never going to watch the same game twice and it, it, that's really cool, in my
0: opinion. I mean, my version of that is with podcasts, right? I've recorded, over a thousand podcasts now. I think it's, you know, ballpark safe to say I've recorded over a thousand podcasts over the past few years, which is over one a day, at least. Like at least one podcast a day, every day for close to three years. God, that's incredible. It's been close to three years now. But (laughs) I mean, going, going through that, like I'm as good as very good podcasters, but it doesn't mean that I'm like a professional by any stretch of the imagination. Like I can do this as well as people you see on very very popular platforms but that's just cuz I really wanted to put in the work for this. I love the medium. I love radio. I love the idea of podcasting and, you know, YouTube being a, by and large an extension of that. I love that idea and that's the, you know, the work that I'm willing to put in and, you know, possibly come up with new ideas and things like that to try and help build this out and we've done hundreds now so even you have the skill of podcasting in a similar way that i do i just spend you know slightly more time doing it but you have the same skill of combining talking about the scouting that you do and talking about the analysis that you do and you know that's kind of a it's a useful skill to have as you invest your time and energy every single day into doing scouting
1: Oh yeah. I'm sure if we go back and listen to your first podcast or my first radio uh, appearance or my first podcast joining you or anything like that. I mean, it sounds completely different the what it is now. Right. I and mean, you just, mm-hmm. you just have to keep doing it, keep grinding until you really just get used to it. And I think it is really, really cool to finally be able to be like uh, to finally look back and be proud of the, the progress you've made and everything like that. It, it goes back to like thinking like scouting things like that to just be able to go back and say, Hey, you know, I was really high on Derwin James that year. Whenever everyone started saying he was a low first round pick, I was an early first round pick, right? To see him end up becoming one of the the better safeties in the league now in the Pro Bowl, it's very satisfying to be like, you know, I actually see like I, I'm getting better. You know, like, I'm I'm getting these takes finally right. You know, <laughs> at first I was really bad. I had uh, I had Josh Rosen up there as one of my top QBs. The Josh several years back, I had a couple of really bad takes, right? Um, I I really uh, you know there there are times where I have. Not good takes at all. Even now I do. I still have a bit pretty bad takes occasionally, but um, to, to finally start to get more and more right down the line and notice like, hey, I'm improving, just like how we're improving in podcasting and radio and everything like that. Again, it's very rewarding. It feels really good.
0: Yeah, and you have that same feeling, uh, you're gonna first of all, you're gonna probably mess up more people down the road. Like, everyone gets this wrong. Scouting is such an imprecise science that <laughs> eventually some of this stuff is gonna end up being wrong, uh, for whatever the reasons may be. Like, we can analyze, oh, Zach Wilson looks awesome, but also he's on the Jets, so uh oh, doesn't look like it's gonna work out. Like, all of this is. Very, you have chosen an industry that is super imprecise. So all the credit to you for trying to be smart in doing this analysis.
1: man, um, NFL draft scouts get paid to be wrong, right? I yeah. guess <laughs> that's basically that's basically what happened because because rarely are they ever right. We're all just guessing. We have no actual true evidence to say that this guy's going to be a beast in the NFL. You know, you could see that they ran a a four four three zero or you can see that they had a, a forty-five or forty four inch vert or something like a ridiculous high. Uh you know, you can see that they are they are I mean insane tape and were very successful in college, but even the best of the best, you know, we, we've seen great players in the past come up and just become complete busts in the NFL, right? I mean everyone everyone thought that you know after watching Josh Rosen's uh film and, and at UCLA everyone was like this is gonna be a guy to be a really good just start you know immediately day one good starting quarterback in the NFL came in and was terrible right everyone I mean I, I expected Tra- Trevor Lawrence to be a, a much better quarterback this year than what he ended up being and granted it was the Jaguars It's a little bit different I understand yeah. their, their standards there I, I mean I expected him to be a lot better and I mean obviously he wasn't I think that I thought Matt Jones was the most overrated quarterback I've ever scouted in my life right he, he's now. Now, I mean, I would say this year he had the best rookie season out of all the quarterbacks. Again, I'm not going to change my opinion, though. I still think he's not the best. Uh, I think he's pretty overrated, but I, I do think that, you know, maybe I was wrong on that. So, I mean, everyone everyone's wrong uh, in terms of scouting. And it's just, uh, I mean, you know, the times that you're right feels really good, but you're just getting used to being wrong at this point.
0: And, you know, not next week, because next week's going to be Super Bowl reaction for your beloved Bengals. But eventually we will get scouting coverage here on the Take It Easy podcast for the third year in a row from NFL draft scout Blake Jude, who again said that Justin Jefferson would be the fourth best receiver in his class. So, you know, see, he was right on about Justin Jefferson over Jalen Rager and company. So, you know, this this guy knows his stuff.
1: I mean, ish. I think I think he was. Yeah, I think he was for. I mean, he's definitely the best in that group. So yeah, be, I mean, but Jerry couple-
0: Judy's never had a quarterback, and you know, C.D. Lamb is as good as. I mean, Justin Jefferson's better than C.D. Lamb, but C.D. Lamb's still really good. And Henry Ruggs was a bust. Uh, and before even before he killed someone, we also have. That in there, but you still nailed it. You had him better than Jalen Rager and T. Higgins. And I think who else was in that? There was someone from Baylor in Jay- there, I think.
1: Denzel Mims. Denzel yep,
0: Denzel Mims. Mims. That's who it was. Well, Denzel Mims hasn't had a good quarterback either. He just he got drafted to one of those organizations that's just not even trying. Speaking of organizations that are not Did y'all know that the greatest quarterback of all time is not just a goat on the field. He's a goat when it comes to investing. He invests in stocks and crypto and even art with Masterworks. Masterworks is the investing platform that lets you buy shares in art from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. And when that art sells, you get return on investments as high as 30%. If you want to get priority access with Masterworks today, go to masterworks.art. Slash believe, to start investing in stocks and cryptocurrency and shares in artwork today. You can invest like the goat with Masterworks. See important disclosures at masterworks.com slash disclaimer. Tell me you haven't heard this before. You're sitting in your favorite restaurant, coffee shop. Maybe you're sitting in an airport because your flight's been delayed for an extra hour and a half. You want to use your phone and you want to use your computer, but you're afraid of that public Wi-Fi because you've heard all the stories. Maybe it's happened to you where your data gets hacked, your information's out there on the dark web. It's it's scary. It happened to me uh, last year, actually. If you want to protect yourself nowadays, it's really important that you get security. And NordVPN has a deal for you today. If you go to nordvpn.com slash believe and use our code B-L-E-A-V, you can get 70% off a protection plan with NordVPN for two years with an additional month for free. With a 30-day money back guaranteed, you are also risk-free if you don't want the service. Sign up today at nordvpn.com slash believe even trying we have breaking news here on the podcast that Wes Welker who I just discovered was on the 49ers coaching staff last week is now going to the Miami Dolphins
1: oh is he offensive coordinator
0: he is wide receivers coach so I assume he got a nice little pay raise to go be Mike McDaniels wide receivers coach for the shitty Miami Dolphins (laughs) <laughs> or yeah. no, I'm sorry. Uh, I messed up the nickname. Damn it. We, we have, we've got a new nickname for the dolphins. They are the plan C dolphins. Uh, <laughs> the reason we are calling them that is because we now know from the Brian Flores lawsuit, plan a was Joe burrow plan. B was Tom Brady plan. C to a tongue of plan. A coach, Jim Harbaugh plan. B Brian Dayball, plan. C Mike McDaniel plan. A wide receiver, Kyle Pitts. Plan B wide receiver, Jamar Chase. Plan C, Jalen Waddell. They are the Plan C Miami Dolphins. And they are hiring Wes Welker, who <laughs> played with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning for seven years and also does not have a Super Bowl ring.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> so the, the Dolphins are a team that fascinates me, really, because I like Mike McDaniel in terms of coaching, and he's a very, very good coach, a very knowledgeable coach. He He's a very good young breed of... Of uh, of talent that I think is going to hopefully revive this horrid history of Dolphins defenses. I think I, lo- I saw it uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a couple of days ago. Uh, the Dolphins have had statistically a uh, not have not had a statistically top ten offense in twenty nine straight years, which is the by far <laughs> the most. The next the next most was I think was, like, was it. The next month at the Cleveland Browns, just like 12 years, maybe. That Cleveland can't Browns. be
0: true. That can't be true. They can't have gone 29 years without a top 10 offense. Chad Pennington almost won an MVP for them. There's no way they've gone 29 years without having a top 10 offense. That's the most amazing thing ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to try to pull this up here and see if I can find it. Um, but I... I saw it uh, recently, and I was like, "Wow, that is really sad." <laughs> I think I saw it on Instagram actually, but I I hope I could find that again uh, here soon, maybe, in Austin will send it to you and show you. But yeah, I was like, "Man, it's it was brutal uh, to see that." I mean, I know I know the, Te- the Texans, the Browns were other two teams at the top, but the Texans had one back. Like, it was like eight years ago, I think, with Matt Schaub, and that team had a top ten defense statistically, and I think the Browns back in the early 2000s had one as well, but I have found it nine
0: years. I have found it. This is according to field Yates on Twitter. The dolphins haven't had a top 10 offense since 1995. The next (laughs) closest is the Browns in 2007, which for people who are keeping track at home, that was the one year that Derek Anderson won 10 games for the Browns. Uh, The next one is the Texans in 2012 i believe matt schaub was indeed still their quarterback at that time uh i believe that was still under gary kubiak as well um that is one of the most incredible things i've ever seen that <laughs> 25 years they have never had a top 10 offense that that is one of the most incredible stats i have ever seen in my life
1: they are it's it's so bad like i mean that they, they are in desperate need of finally trying to figure out an answer to that offense. And I, and I do honestly think, I think Mike McDaniel is a big risk in my eyes because he's a very young coach who, I mean, there's a lot of questions about whether or not he's cut out for the job or not, how young he is. He's a very, Smart offensive-minded coach, but is he a leader in the locker room? We don't know. We don't. We never seen him really become be one of those guys. But I definitely think that in terms of his football knowledge and what he can do on the off side of the ball, the, the the San Francisco offense is is a genius. Genius. Uh. Um. You know how it's made up, right? Kyle Shanahan is a fantastic offensive mind. He knows exactly what he's doing on offense. He's probably taught Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel is successful with the with the San Francisco offense, even with you know the limitations that Jimmy Garoffla being your quarterback, he still found ways to be successful with it. He now has Jalen Waddell, who I think could be his own Devo Samuel, right? I really, really think that he's got weapons to work with here in Miami. Um, do I trust Tua to be an elite quarterback? No. Do I trust the offensive line? No. Do I trust everything else on offense? No. But <laughs> I definitely think Mike McDaniel could be a good start to hopefully what can become a future top 10 offense in the next several years.
0: Everything you just said suggests he's going to get fired in the next two years. You're just like, do they have a top 10 offensive line? No. Do they have top 10 receiving court? No. Do they have top 10 running back room? No. Do they have a top 10 quarterback? No. Okay. Then he's probably going to get fired in two years unless they... Have a miraculous turnaround, but it looks like Tua is going to be their quarterback for the next two years. And they're kind of tied to that team now. Plan C Dolphins on their way to a six and 10 season, unless their defense magically turns it around for them and they also almost make the playoffs again. Uh, the, it's incri- I, uh, now that the Bengal. Oh, never mind. I was going to say now that the Bengals won their playoff game. Do the Dolphins hold the record now? But I forgot the Lions still exist. The Lions are still the, the beacon of mediocrity, the, the bat signal of mediocrity in, in the NFL. But I think now that the Bengals are good, uh, the, the Dolphins and Raiders take the cake there um yeah for, yeah
1: for sure I, i'm so glad that i'm not part of that list anymore i think that's probably the best part about it right we don't get to have that you don't want to play off game in 30 33 years type conversation right where we have to just defend ourselves the entire time like sorry i don't know what to tell you you know <laughs> right we don't We're not get a part of that we're gonna make fun of the lions now yeah the lions suck right like
0: <laughs> yeah <stay down> <laughs> yeah you know what fuck the lions how about that lions you're just the worst at this point
1: kick, kick them while they're down sucks to suck
0: but lions fans know right lions fans are like kings fans. by the way did you see the thing that the kings did during um the, the game yesterday in sacramento on the um on the nbc broadcast uh on their uh on their pregame show One fan showed up in the background again. I live in Sacramento, so the tickets were nine dollars to Demata Sabonis's first game. You could buy nine dollar tickets to watch the Timberwolves play the Kings, and one fan of probably five thousand that showed up in the background held up a sign right in front of the TV camera that said, "Welcome to Hell, Domas," (laughs) right on TV. Welcome to Hell that's kind of what Lions fans are embracing at this point too. It's like, yeah, we know, we know snow. You, you can kick us while we're down. We embrace being shit. We're cool with it. At least we get the number two pick, which we also might trade before the draft. They should trade at least in my eyes, uh, but we'll get to that. Ooh, time. <laughs> sure. Ooh yeah. okay. Yeah. Mock draft 1.0 coming up later in February for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see your thoughts on that one. Mock drafts are always great content. I have to say they're great for filling content in the, in the off season of the NFL. Um, I had another thing.
1: Let's just be real. The Lions just need all the talent they can get, right? And this is, I think this is the year where there's not a lot of top-end talent in, in the draft this year. So maybe trading back would be a smart idea for a lot of teams to get a top. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to spoil anything. I don't know if I'll put that much first a small draft or not because I, I do have a prospect I like there too. They don't trade back, but they can get value for sure.
0: Well, I thought the whole conversation for the past two months was that it was Thibodeau and Hutchinson and that those were the guys that everyone was trying to get at the top of the draft. And like, if you got either one of them, you were going to be good because they were going to be like chase young types. I thought the whole, the whole conversation was that there were two special edge rushers in this draft. So.
1: To so put it in perspective, I won't. I won't tell you who my number one overall prospect is just yet. That could be another co- topic of conversation for later. <laughs> my number Save one it. overall pros, My number one overall prospect this year is ninety-seven point eight overall, which is you know very very good, very very solid. Um, if you look at last year's draft. Uh, My 97.8 overall, the number one overall prospect would have been the number five overall prospect in last year's draft. I had four players graded above a 97.8 in last year's draft. Trevor Lawrence, Fene Sewell, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts. So he would have been my number five in this year's draft. So do I think that there is a – and and to clarify, last year's draft as well, he would have been number – I believe number five as well uh, because I definitely – had. I know for a fact that I had Chase Young way higher uh, than the, my next edge rusher. And I know I had uh, Joe Burrow really high, uh, a couple other guys out there as well. Um, but, yeah, in, in terms of top end, I mean, they're very, very good. They're definitely – there's three guys I think are really part of – there are really actually four guys who I think have really parted themselves from the next group of people, right? But um, in terms of top end talent you compared to the previous seasons, it really isn't there. It really isn't. Uh, this is one of the, I think, poorer first rounds we will, we will see in quite a while.
0: I am going to switch gears so that we don't spoil too much of the NFL draft stuff for when we actually need the content um, by talking about coaches. Um, I articulate that all nine of the head coaching hires are bad in the NFL this year. Uh, None of them are particularly sexy or working out as well as I think they will. Uh, But I ask you. To defend, I know you defended Lovey Smith's hire a little bit, like tepid defense of Lovey Smith on Twitter, but I will ask you to try and uh, defend the head coaching hires of any of the nine teams that have now hired head coaches and don't say Dennis Allen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I saw uh,
0: it's not Dennis Allen, don't worry. Uh, I, I, <laughs>
1: I saw a lot of of, uh, Levy Smith slander on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. And that made me upset. Like, uh, I was like, Levy Smith's a guy that really earned that job for one. Like, I I really think, like, this is a a good defensive coordinator that has actually created a a very solid defense in Houston, despite how bad the team has been talent-wise. I actually thought he he made one of – I mean, it was, I think it was done to him and Flores. Really, I thought both of them made a lot of sense for that head coaching job, and I was I was shocked that the, that they were upset with the hire and didn't think it was there very good. I think obviously Smith to be a, a successful head coach for the future of the Texans. So I just want to go ahead and say I think that's a very oh f-
0: ooh. interesting because I was going to agree with you up until you said for the Texans. And I'm like. He's going to get fired after one year with the Texans, but no, no matter who gets hired by the Texans was probably going to get fired after one year, unless they did the white privilege thing and just hired Josh McCown with no head coaching experience because he went to high school with Nick Casario.
1: Yeah. Josh McCown was a stupid signing. I mean, he's got no experience yet, right? You can't put him in there that early on. That would just be dumb. Uh, yeah, I but everything the
0: Texans have done for 2 years is incredibly dumb. Again, they were about to, they would have won the Super Bowl if not for a historic collapse against the Chiefs less than 2 years ago.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, uh that's yeah, very true. And um but and I think honestly I mean Whoever's in this situation is putting being put into an impossible situation, right? But but the Texans have to do what they can do best, and that's sign the best coach that they can have for this year if they choose to keep him for a year or longer. We don't know for sure. And Lovey Smith, like, I think, is one of those better coaches that you can have. I think he's a very very good defensive pedigree, and there was no guarantee that he was going to stay if he stayed as the defensive coordinator. Anyways, so this is a way to at least ensure that he's going to stay with you. And I don't know if you've already heard about this, but they're not hiring a defensive coordinator. He's going to stay there and be the defensive coordinator as well. So they get to keep their defense, and they really. Really, really like and i think it's very good if you get a good talent on defense with that team that could be a very dangerous defense for the future i think i really really like levy smith i think he's one of the better defensive coordinators in the league uh and no one would really talk about him that much but you get off track a little bit i think my favorite signing this year in terms of head coaches is probably kevin o'connell to the vikings uh, at least in my eyes right now i think it's a guy that i i think has been the the that made the, the most sense to me in terms of fit and where i thought he had and where i think he can be um it's successful in. Uh the Vikings were a team that uh you know doesn't have the the best defense either, but were a defensive focused team and Mike Zimmer, who was a defensive coordinator for the Bengals previously and was a guy that really uh, wanted to uh, focus on grinding the ball on the ground with Dalvin Cook and then stopping him on defense, right? But at the end of the day, you aren't going to beat the high-powered offenses of Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or, uh, you know, the Seahawks with Russell Wilson, any of those teams. You aren't going to beat those teams because they have elite quarterbacks who can score whenever they want, and your defense isn't going to stop that, right? And we, we kind of saw over time the Vikings just really get uh, taken advantage of uh, in that scenario because Dalvin Cook's not going to be able to outrun uh, the passing attacks of the NFC. Uh, and at the end of the day, that was what really screwed them over, made it to where they were so mediocre, even though they had a lot of talent on the team. Well, now they go out and get the Rams' offensive coordinator, and another guy that's coming coming from the Sean McVay tree and a guy that I think is a very good offensive mastermind. I really think he can work really, really well with Justin Jefferson. He's a very versatile receiver. He can play in the slot like how Cooper Cuff was. If you want to talk about Cooper Cuff role, Justin Jefferson fits that to a T and I think he can even be a little bit better in that role as well with the with the, the upside I think with him and the future that he had being so young. Uh, I, I do really think that he can be a very special player for a long time. Uh, and also I think Kevin O'Connell is now going to finally come in and probably with the, do what the Vikings have been dying for them to do in years. And is find a new dang quarterback like please
0: get rid of court cousins. <laughs> take him away I mean, so so I want to talk about this part because the the tepidness I have for O'Connell is that the Vikings aren't going to give him a fair shot because they're headed towards a rebuild after next season um, the thing that I find funny about this is you're the person who argues that you should either be at the very bottom or the very top, I think your Bengals have kind of proven this theory right over the past few years. Is that the best way to turn a franchise around is to get a generational quarterback, or get the number one pick in a year with a generational quarterback? Um, it hasn't worked out for the Jaguars, but the point still stands. Like that it's rather to be terrible than it is to be in the middle. The Vikings are the team that's given you the middle finger because they've just been in the middle for like five years now. So I I point to you and say, Kirk Cousins isn't going to get moved this offseason because he has like a $35 million dead cap hit. But after this year, he's got like a $10 million. So this will be Kirk Cousins last year in Minnesota, unless O'Connell does the Arthur Smith thing where he's like, I'm just cool riding it out with Kirk Cousins. Could be worse. Could be a whole lot better, but it could be worse. We'll stick with Matt Ryan. Why? I don't know. I like him. (laughs) Unless they do that, this could be a chance to move off of Kirk Cousins. So I kind of get your point there.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously there's a little bit more to it. You know, the dead cap's going to really affect them. They can get a lot more money if they wait, of course. So that's probably – they're probably going to roll with them for one more year, right? But I think this is definitely a move with O'Connell is thinking like, hey, we're going to install a brand-new offense to this team. We're going to focus more on our stars and Justin Jefferson, maybe Dalvin Cook extending his game a little bit more, maybe in a passing game I like the idea of doing. Um, I really think that they can hopefully get Irv Smith Jr. back. I got a tight end that I really like and be able to put him more involved in this team, and I really think – as well KJ Osborne the wide receiver from the Vikings I think is another guy that's going to have a lot of potential for the future as well as a future receiver on this team as well I really think they have a lot of good young pieces they can work with and and, and use that are flexible enough to move into a new scheme and you know I, I think this is now the time where you can look at the Vikings look to get rid of the Adam Thielen's the Kirk Cousins guys like that who are getting up there in age and I don't think can really fit very well with this roster anymore I really think this is now an a time where you to do what the Bengals did go and go and get your quarterback get your wide receiver that you already have Justin Jefferson um you know get your offensive line get get together some young good players and try to be that new high-powered fun offense that everyone loves to watch I think that's what the Vikings are looking towards doing I think Kevin Collins is a good start because he's a very young head coach still he's what 36 years old I believe um a very smart head coach knows what he's doing very well of course and has been been his single pedigree of course in the Super Bowl this year so he knows what he's doing
0: I want to play this game with you real quick to close out the podcast. Where one of the things I talk about all the time is if you look at the Tuck Rule as a pivot point in the NFL, where for thirty years the the New England Patriots were a laughing stock of the NFL. Like they did not make the playoffs for their first fifteen years of existence. There's a fun story about the first time they won a playoff game was against I think the Bengals in like 1983, and a fan stole the goalpost out of the stadium and just walked out with it apparently. And then electrocuted themselves on the power lines outside the stadium. I believe that's a real thing that happened. Um, Like the Patriots were the laughingstock franchise and the Raiders were the team that won three championships and had Marcus Allen and was in the playoffs every year. And then in 2002 Patriots become gold standard Raiders don't win a playoff game for 20 years. So the, a similar thing happens where um, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were terrible for I mean not terrible like you know average for 20 years and then the Broncos were this gold standard of 45 consecutive seasons where they never had back to back years of a losing record and then in 2016 Chiefs win six straight division titles Broncos miss the playoffs for six consecutive years. And it's like NFL history pivoted right there. So if the Bengals are, are now going to be 10 years of dominance, who are they switching places with? Who's a team that's been great for 30 years who's about to switch places with the Cincinnati Bengals?
1: Huh. Okay, this is a good question. I like this. Um, well, actually, I think it's probably... Steelers, when I think about it, and, and sit back and really consider it and, and think. I mean, think about the Pittsburgh Steelers teams they've had over the years, Having have not had an under 500 season in so long. It really feels like now that the Bengals are on the rise, one of those teams had to fall off, and I think the Steelers are the team that's unfortunately having to fall off. They lose big already. They have, a, you know, they have to, a lot of people, they still have to pay. They have to pay J. Watt, they have to play Mika Fitzpatrick. A lot of those guys are still out on contract. Going to lose Joe Hayden this offseason season is almost pretty much a guarantee. Going to lose Juju Smith, good enough to win you football games, are starting to leave now. And you're you're stuck with a draft pick that's more likely going to go to Malik Willis, quarterback from Liberty, that we'll talk about again later on. Uh, you're going to have <laughs> uh, a, a rookie quarterback, a guy that doesn't have a good offensive line at all. The offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL as well. Uh, and a, I, I, now your GMs are tired. You no longer, no longer have your GM. He's, he's leaving after this season. You no longer have your defensive coordinator as well. You had to sign Terrell Austin, who I think is a very questionable hire at defensive coordinator. It feels like now the Bengals are finally good. seems like the rivals are starting to fall off at the same time. So that would be my, that'd be my example of, uh, you know, who is leaving dominance, who's entering dominance at this point. I would say it's probably that.
0: See the rival ones are always easy because they play in the same division. And so like the chiefs win six straight division titles and now the Broncos are terrible. And it's like easy to see that one. My mind went to the Texans as like the Texans weren't great, but they were at least a beacon of stability at the NFL. And now they're about to be like dog shit for the next 10 years. Cause they're ran by a, a youth pastor. A youth pastor is basically running the team at this point. So I, I, Guess that was one that I connected in my head. I like it more when it's like teams that don't have a connection, like the Raiders and Patriots would have no real connection to each other. The argument on the other side is the Dolphins, too. Like the Dolphins immediately became a laughing stock as soon as the Patriots dynasty kind of booted off and the Broncos, same thing. The owner dies. They're kind of left in purgatory, running on autopilot. I just, I guess, like it more if you can find deeper connections between franchises that have nothing to do with each other, but, you know, are connected in the case of the Raiders by the Tuck Rule. Oh my gosh, wait, wouldn't it be perfect if if, uh, Von Bell lighting up Juju Smith Schuster is a turning point in NFL history? Wouldn't that be amazing?
1: that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, literally that game was what turned the tides and, and what happened. Like, I mean, thinking about it back then, no one really thought of that because they, everyone thought the Steelers were still the team to beat in the AFC. Everyone still thought the Bengals were the laughing stock of the AFC as well. But in reality, ever since that play, the Steelers have fallen apart and the Bengals have been fantastic. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of been a turning point so far, at least.
0: God, football is so weird, isn't it? Like, we thought that Laramie Tunsil smoking a gas mask would be the thing that ended the 20-year curse of the Miami Dolphins because they got five first-round picks from the Texans for Laramie Tunsil. Like, just the weirdest shit. The NFL is so weird, man. Like, Juju Smith-Schuster dancing on a logo and getting lit up by Von Bell ends up being a turning point in NFL history that we can, you know, not cause correlation, but it's just funny to think about how that is... Uh, that is a point where the Bengals all of a sudden become relevant champions, and the Steelers become piss poor mediocre, like the Bengals have been for thirty years.
1: Yep. Yeah, it, it is kind of funny to look back on, it, think of. I'm, I'm still trying to think of like another team potentially, but I mean, no teams in the AFC that can see the correlation. Maybe, it's, maybe it's a few NFC teams. The Patriots. See the
0: the Patriots You think so? I mean, but I th- no, I, think, I don't, but like, it's, okay. but I also said this week, either this is going to be the flukiest champion since the 2012 New York giants, or this is the beginning of 20 years of a Bengals dynasty. One of the two,
1: right? Yeah. yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I, I do. Uh, but I, I do think that, uh, yeah, I, I still think that there are the Pictures is still a very solid football team. I think that all the teams that are still up there don't feel like they're going to fall off anytime soon, at least, right? The Bills, the, the Chiefs, uh, the Ravens. Those teams are still going to be good, uh, at least in my eye. The Chargers, I think, it's still going to be pretty good. Um, th- those, those are the teams I still think of as, as being up there. And I think finally, we might have the chance of the Bengals try, trying to join them unless everything falls apart and they have a terrible year next year.
0: First time anyone's ever said the Chargers have been good. I've never heard that one before. The Chargers have been a beacon of stability across 20 years. It's not what I usually associate with the Chargers, yeah. but they've had two so, Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. technically
0: three, wow. actually, if you count Eli Manning, they've technically had three Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks in the last 20 years
1: which is insane to think about, but I think they're going to have another really good quarterback for a long time. And just Herbert as well. So I think, I think there are good days ahead for the same, for the Los Angeles chargers. Ah,
0: you almost, almost did the San Diego thing. I almost, I almost
1: did. It. I was going to say, I was almost to the San Diego. I was just thinking about you. I was thinking, man, It's been
0: five years now. It's been five years.
1: Oh, brutal.
0: Yeah, it's actually, no, it's actually one of the greatest things that's ever happened. It's it's one of the turning points of my life, ironically. It is one of the greatest blessings <laughs> as as of personal growth that could have ever happened in my life was realizing that all of this is very dumb. And as a child, I was probably investing too much of my emotional stability to compensate for other issues into sports. It was a good, it was a good moment of clarity for myself and personal growth. So I'm very happy the Chargers left San Diego, not happy that, you know, my, my hometown doesn't get the team anymore, but they're better off without shitty Dean Spanos. They will be better human beings because Dean Spanos doesn't control their emotional stability.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very true. Very true. Uh, You know, but I do think in terms of football teams, there, there are, good days ahead for the chargers. I think aside from having absolutely no fans at all, uh, there, there are good days ahead in terms of, uh, where they're, where they're heading franchise wise
0: This is the changing NFL model though. There are three or four teams now that just don't have any fans and it doesn't matter because you know, 80% of their money comes from national television contracts. So you don't even really need fans. Fans would be ideal, but your money is still secure whether you have fans or not. I'm looking at you Rams chargers raiders and jaguars and also maybe washington but washington also had the highest selling jerseys on fanatics when the new jerseys dropped which was insulting as dan snyder's getting investigated by congress so you know you don't have to have fans anymore to run a successful nfl team
1: yeah no yeah for sure i mean and most of those teams are because they relocated right but yeah uh that that is very true and I, i do think like Uh, to to, to kind of go back to Super Bowl a little bit. I do think that it's going to be a a pretty underrated Cincinnati crowd down there in L.A., despite the fact that it's their own home field during the biggest game of the year. I do think the Bengals are going to travel a little bit better than the Rams.
0: See, I saw those ticket prices in the thousands of dollars and I've always associated now, like even when the Super Bowl was in Tampa, the great advantage is not having to travel and getting to sleep in your own bed the night before. When it comes to the game, I just assume there's no home field advantage because you're getting people from everywhere wanting to get those few hundred thousand tickets to the game. I just assume that. It's just a random smattering of people at the game because the Super Bowl, it costs like $4,000 just to get in the door. I just assume that at that point, it fades out the fans more than anything else. I could be wrong, but it, it feels like it does a little bit. Um, Blake, good luck to you. This is really fantastic, um, and I'm really happy for you. And I hope regardless of how it goes, that we get stories of either lore from the parade on Tuesday or just talking about the game and the season and love and life and all of that fun stuff. So uh, good luck to you. Best of luck, my friend. And you're muted.
1: Uh, one more thing before I leave the podcast. I just do want to say Jamar Chase just won rookie of the year on the opposite off- side of the ball. So let's go. <laughs> As he <laughs> so should.
0: Thank God it wasn't Mac Jones. Thank God it yes. wasn't Mac Jones.
1: The world is better. The world is better now that we know that Jamar Chase is winning rookie of the year than Mac Jones.
0: Yes, the world is a better place. We there is there is a little good in the world now that we know that Jamar Chase won rookie of the year instead of Mac Jones, because at that point. I would have, I've already lost all faith in award shows. I actually thought the NFL honors was on Saturday. I didn't even know it was on tonight. I've lost all faith in <laughs> award shows already. If we're giving Zach Taylor coach of the year, that is even more reason to lose faith in award shows. Give it to someone. I don't care if it's a repeat, give it to Andy Reed. Andy Reed deserved it this year. Don't, don't give it to the person who had the surprising team. Just give it to the person most deserving. This year was Andy Reed. I will still make that the- case. <sighs>
1: So uh, T.J. Watt, won defensive player of the year. Uh, Michael as, he should, of the as he should,
0: and as he probably should have My- last year.
1: Yeah, Micah Parsons, won defensive rookie of the year so far. But final votes for the offensive rookie of the year. Jamar Chase got 42, Matt Jones 5, Creed Humphrey got 2, and Rashawn Slater got 1. So uh, you know, five five people were a little stupid. But aside from that, uh, I think the rest are okay.
0: Isn't it incredible that the seven best edge rushers in the NFL, this is the key to becoming a great edge rusher in the NFL. You're either be a Watt brother, be a Bosa brother, play at right. Texas A&M. That's the way to become a great edge <laughs> rusher in the NFL.
1: That That's about it. You know, if you're not one of those three, you're in a bad shape right now. Yeah, <laughs> Unless you're Max so, Crosby. Uh, but, good, but Max like Cro-
0: even Max Crosby, I don't think of as one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. He's very good. I I just don't think of him as one of the best edge rushers in the NFL at this point. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe uh, Khalil yeah, Mack. Yeah. Does Khalil Mack still get to make it on this list? Okay. He's just the one exception. Uh,
1: but... I mean, he used to be, but not anymore. He yeah, I, big
0: time. I, I understand it. I, I understand the the anti-Max Crosby camp. What about Dante Fowler? He's still collecting money from the Falcons. He's a <laughs> number three pick uh, in the draft.
1: What, what about like a, like a Vaughn Miller? You know, maybe Texas A&M.
0: A- Vaughn Miller, Texas A&M.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's crazy. I forgot about that. No way. Wow, Uh Okay, um, I, Trey Hendricks. Maybe yeah, I know he's pretty. Soft. Oh no! What, what about what about uh, what about uh, ju- uh, uh, you know, uh, New, uh, New England's uh, edge rusher? Oh, Judon? Judon. Yes, Matthew. Judon. Where did
0: Judon go to college? Uh, I'm not actually sure. Um, Judon went to Grand Valley State. Holy shit! Okay, uh, he set the yeah. Division two record for sacks. <laughs> Wow,
1: that that's really off. Wow. But yeah. How about yeah, that? Yeah, Matthew Judon's there.
0: Where's Trey Hendrickson from? Let's see. Where does Trey Hendrickson play? He is Florida Atlantic. Shout out FAU. Was that Lane Kiffin? Yeah. No, I don't think it was Lane Kiffin at that point. No, it was no, no, no. Uh, Several, yeah, it's a couple years back. 2017. Who was the, who was the coach at Florida Atlantic before Lane Kiffin?
1: I, that is a question I cannot answer.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm hoping it's a fun name. Uh, I'm hoping, let's see, Florida Atlantic. Football. All right. This is a great way to finish our Super Bowl preview week, isn't it? This is a fantastic way to go about this. Uh, It was someone named Charlie Patridge no idea who that is, but shout out to Charlie Patridge. Uh, He's currently the associate head coach and defensive line coach for Pat Narduzzi's Pitt Panthers.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who that guy is, but that's that's cool.
0: Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. We're finishing with Charlie Patridge. That's how we're finishing off this wonderful podcast.
1: Yes. Yes. Very excited about it.